Hello, and welcome to Nonprofit Nation. I'm your host, Julia Campbell, and I'm going to sit down with nonprofit industry experts, fundraisers, marketers, and everyone in between to get real and discuss what it takes to build that movement that you've been dreaming of. I created the Nonprofit Nation podcast to share practical wisdom and strategies to help you confidently find your voice, definitively grow your audience, and effectively build your movement. If you're a nonprofit newbie or an experienced professional who's looking to get more visibility, reach more people, and create even more impact, then you're in the right place. Let's get started. Hello. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Nonprofit Nation with your host, Julia Campbell. (laughs) Today, I'm here with my really good friend, colleague, uh, I almost want to say coworker, life coach, business coach, (laughs) therapist sometimes, um, Maureen Walbioff. I'm so excited to have her here. She is a nonprofit digital strategist and technology coach with more than 20 years of experience in fundraising, marketing, and digital engagement. And Maureen has developed a proven methodology that maps your nonprofit's strategic and operational goals to the right platforms and processes. And you know I love a good goal map, helping you make good decisions about the systems that you use to engage your supporters. So in, in addition to her work one-on-one with clients, she has authored two guides on nonprofit engagement software. She blogs at her website and she goes live on Facebook every Friday afternoon to answer your questions about nonprofit technology. So welcome, Maureen. How do you fit us in your busy schedule? Oh, you're a priority for me, Julia. Let's let's uh, let's be clear. I will jump at the chance to spend any amount of time with you because all we do is inspire each other and kind of help each other troubleshoot things. So I'm yes. very excited about this podcast and looking forward to the conversation. Yay! Thank you. Thank you so much. So I usually start the podcast off asking, you know, the the big question: How did you get started? What's your story? What drew you to nonprofit work? Well, I'll tell you, I had worked in retail actually for a long time through my college years. And then in 1991, I started working as a counselor for Planned Parenthood in Connecticut. And I rose up through the ranks over a 17-year tenure. So I remember when the fax machine showed up around about 1992, Mm -hmm. 1993. And by the early 2000s, I was working in training. I was running the staff training department. We were switching from paper-based appointment scheduling and medical charts to our first electronic scheduler and medical record system. It was not fun for anyone. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had people who didn't have personal computers. This was, you know, when you could opt out of those kinds of things. No such thing as smartphones at that point. And I really was very empathetic with the struggle that mm-hmm. our team was having trying to make a change yeah. from the old way of doing things to this box that was going to be sitting on the on the front desk. At that point, I became 
the e-business director. I got a certification in e-business back when e-business was a term. (laughs) It meant something. And then in 2008, I was approached and asked to help start a new agency for nonprofits called Firefly Partners that still exist today. I helped to grow that company over a decade. And then in 2018, I left, I left my role, I left the business, and I started this solo consultancy where I'm much closer to the nonprofit teams themselves and can really help them make really smart decisions about the systems that they're using and how they train people and their business processes. So it's been a rewarding ride and I can't wait to see what the future holds. Yes. So your website is meetmaureen.com and I love your little tagline, giving practical wisdom to nonprofit accidental techies. (laughs) And I know that in the work that you do, it involves shifting a lot of mindsets and addressing mindset blocks. So can you tell us a little bit about what are the biggest mindset blocks that you see that nonprofits have to overcome even before they jump into getting on a new platform or exploring new technology? Yeah, I think people start right at the end of the sentence that you just said, which They start by demos. They start, look, you know, something is identified. We hate our email platform, peer-to-peer tool, CRM or database. Can't deal with it anymore. Whatever the tipping point is, the scramble then begins in a fairly reactive way. Our contract is up in six months. We got to find something quickly and move in before they turn the lights out on our legacy tools. And I think it's really important for organizations of any mission, any size, any number of staff to actually do a little bit of reflection before they start Mm -hmm. to look around. Mm -hmm. Uh, A quote that I use a lot is, if you hate your dining room table, don't buy a new house. Right. (laughs) Yes. Into your new house and you're going to hate the table even more than you did when it was in the house that you have today. So it's about problem solving, right? Mm -hmm. Is a move going to fix problems or let you do things that you can't do today in your systems? Mm -hmm. So it's a little bit of know thyself, understand what you're using. What is your technology ecosystem and how well or not is it working together or not? Mm -hmm. And that means bringing your collaborative cross-functional teams together to talk about things at an organization level rather than my tool doesn't work, I'm going to go find a new one, and I'm not really paying attention to whether it's going to play nicely or not with the stuff that we already have. So don't jump into the sales cycle first. Do a little reflection, figure out what your pain points are and whether a new system move is going to help you solve them. I love that. I love that. I do agree that analogy. Don't just buy a new house if you hate your dining room table because your dining room table will still be your dining room table and you are bringing the same problems over with you. And it's frustrating because it's a pain to move, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's time consuming. It takes brain power. It takes money. So I see, and I bet you do too with your clients, people hop around 
Like I'm in here. Nope. Got to move. Nope. Got to move. That's too much change for your team. Number one, Uh, you can't expect people to be able to adapt and adopt to a new system that frequently it's exhausting. And it also is, it's not strategic. Mm -hmm. It's just not. And so nonprofit leaders, folks who make these kinds of technology or business process decisions, they're really smart. They're very good at what they're there in the organization to do, but because they don't know or were never really taught how to think strategically about technology, Mm. they make bad buying decisions. And that's, you know, can be even a career killer for some leaders. I've seen people not recover from Mm. you pick this thing. We spent money on it. We moved into it. It's not helping. And that's a problem at a monetary and leadership level inside orgs. So a question I get very frequently, but like you said, it's probably starting at the end of the sentence is, okay, what should I look for in a database? What should I look for in a CRM? You know, a lot of my clients are smaller, mid-size. They either are ready now to adopt a more robust system or they want to switch over. So what are some questions they should be thinking about before they kind of jump into the pool? Bless you for asking that. (laughs) That's that's Mm -hmm. great. So you want to really start with your organizational goals over the next three to five years because this dirty little secret, not so dirty really, is that most CRMs and databases at any price point do most of the same things. Oh, we should say, what is a CRM? Okay, yeah, that's great. For people that don't know, sorry. No problem. CRM is a constituent relationship management system. And you could call it a CRM, you could call it a database. Essentially what it means is it's a place where I can store information about people, organizations, and what they do, (laughs) what they've done, And I can use it to send emails or pull direct marketing lists. Usually there's some fundraising, gift recording stuff happening in there. And depending on the product that you're using, it can often do things like send email marketing messages Mm -hmm. or fundraising appeals, power event registrations, sometimes even help you manage your social media advertising. So depending on your needs, there's a system out there that can do whatever magical flavor you're looking for. Mm-hmm. So that's that's really what we're talking about when we say CRM or database. It's where info is, where mm-hmm. you pull it out and you do analysis or manipulate it in some way. Okay. So what I always encourage folks to do is just hold a cross-functional strategic technology planning meeting mm-hmm. and imagine things what's going on in your org in the next three to five years. And if you've got a strategic plan, even if you're like year four of the strategic plan, you can evaluate how well your current system is doing at helping you achieve those organizational goals, right? We often think of them as separate things. Your tools, your tech stack, your CRM should be like a staff person. Mm-hmm. Or two, <laughs> how is it helping you do the things you need to do to check those goal boxes, grow your supporters, increase your sustainers, 
give a high touch experience to your supporters without needing to send an email to every single supporter that's personalized. So take that high level view. And I ask people really to imagine what's Mm -hmm. going on in three to five years. What are you working on? Mm -hmm. What aren't you doing anymore? How many staff do you have? And it's often the first time that people inside an organization from different teams have had 90 minutes. That's all you really need. 90 minutes or two hours, if you're a bigger team, to reflect on what, how will a new CRM help us? And then you can layer in questions like, who are our top audiences? And what kinds of information do we need to capture about them? And how might we use that? How will this help our staff do higher level work or increase efficiency inside our team. If you've got folks who are entering data in three places, mm-hmm. there's really no need for that, my friends. Mm-hmm. You can you can figure out a way to move the data without a human person, just people powering your way through updating your systems and using that information. I love that because I'm actually looking for a new CRM myself for my business. And I always start with the tools. You know, this is what someone else is using. I read a review of this, but I absolutely love the idea of just reflecting and visioning where, not just where you are today, but where are you going to be in three to five years? Where's your organization going to be? Because you don't want to be moving databases and CRMs and moving all that data and clean, you know, you don't want to be doing that, learning a new system and the learning curve every three years or every four years. So what do you need? What are you going to jettison? Like maybe you need something to do more virtual events or manage more monthly sustainers. Maybe you're starting a monthly sustainer program or a virtual volunteer program. So I love that. Not just deciding how the technology can help you today, but really how it can help you grow. Mm-hmm. And the other thing I love that you said, because I say this to my clients, that the technology should be an employee. I always say your website should function like an employee. It should have a job description and it should have performance evaluations every six months, maybe even every three months at this point to see, okay, what's working? What's not working? Is it us? Is it the technology? Yep. Or is there just a mismatch in there? Same thing. And actually, if people do want to hop over to my website, uh, meetmaureen.com, I've got a ton of free resources. And one of them is actually like a grading worksheet. Oh, nice. Got all the different types of tools that an organization might be using, gives you space to list the name of the product, who owns it inside your organization. Give it a grade. Like, is it an A or is it an F and why? So it dovetails really nicely with your example about your website should be reviewed every six months or something. Stuff changes. And with turnover and things like that, it's always great to get your arms around things a couple times a year. Even if you know three weeks later, things have changed. You know you're writing it in pencil but it helps you understand where you are. And in terms of the technology, you're going to identify some redundancies. You might have three things that send email 
why? <laughs> you know, the advocacy right. team uses this right. and the fundraising team. Oh, no, no, no. I see <laughs> so, that all the time. Yeah. And it's a very common thing for teams to pick their own stuff. It's a nice reflection of an organization that's got a culture of trust in it, mm-hmm. but it can mess you up when it comes to technology. Exactly. I recently read on your blog, you have so many fantastic posts there, but one post that really resonated with me was taking control of your nonprofit technology in three easy steps. And the picture is a woman who is very stressed out trying to have a Zen moment in front of the laptop. And I think that that is very reflective of where a lot of organizations are. So what are the the three easy steps to take control of your technology if you feel like it's completely the Wild West and totally out of your hands? Yeah. And everybody's like that. So if you're listening to this and you have felt like nobody really knows, (laughs) we are the only people who have terribly dirty data we don't trust it or whatever your situation is. Everybody has it. I have it. Julia Mm -hmm. has it. I do. Large enterprise level brand name nonprofits have it. So don't feel like it's just you that, that helps like take the sting out of it a little bit, but there are, there are just three simple things that you can do, but you have to really do them. You can't just like write them down and have intention. These are things that take a little bit of time and focus So the first one is, I want you to form a work group inside your organization. You need a number of people. And let's imagine, Julia, that someone who's listening has a total team of five people inside their organization. You and I can think of some folks that Mm -hmm. are small and mighty, very lean teams. You all need to help each other with this technology. This isn't somebody else's job. This is everybody's Mm -hmm. job. And it lets you start to look at all of these things in an organizational view instead of just what I use and whether I like it. It helps you lay things out. It also gives you a place to make decisions about prioritizing things that you might need to do around your technology or want to do around your technology. If you've got more than five people in your organization, folks have issues. (laughs) They Mm -hmm. have wish lists and I need a new donation form for X, or I don't know how to get this report to run. Instead of dealing with that independently, it's much easier to have a parking lot of all the stuff. Mm -hmm. And then again, based on what your organization needs to have happen, you can prioritize those things. Mm -hmm. And it helps your team know that somebody's listening And people are paying attention to your pains. Mm -hmm. Um, Employees will leave if their job is super frustrating. And right now we are in a super, super tight job market. It's hard to get people to show up for interviews, much less have qualified candidates who you can hire. So keep them there. (laughs) Eliminate that turnover by the working group. So that's step one. Mm -hmm. A second step is make some thoughts about your data. You are collecting all kinds of information. I know you are, and I know you're not even looking at half of it. Again, Mm -hmm. that's a very common scenario for all organizations to experience. So think about what kinds of data will help you know that you're on track or off track. 
with some of your goals. And you might even want to break it down into an annual goal or a campaign-related goal. Hmm. Work with your vendor, whoever manages your, whoever you're buying your system from. Work with them to help you create either reports or dashboards. Not going to cost you a million dollars to have somebody spend a couple of hours to set up your data so that your teams are looking at it regularly and making those database decisions that everybody says they want to make, but it's hard to know how to get there from where you are, which is, I don't know how to get there. Mm -hmm. The third thing is investing in your team's training. Because we all use technology, it's very tempting to give somebody a, a login and just like thoughts and prayers yes. here, <laughs> here's yep. our email tool. Why don't, right. why don't you just use it? It's like you're, you're in your twenties. You must just intuitively know how to how use, use this technological chip. tool. <laughs> yeah. And sure. We'll all figure that out and kind of stab our way through it, but we might not be doing it in the right way. We certainly aren't figuring out how to do it most efficiently on our own. So I don't care if you have no plans to leave your tools this year, next year, whatever, Take a nose count inside your organization. Figure out what people's pain points are about using tools and then give them some training. Again, go back to your vendor. Maybe they've got videos that people can watch. Maybe you want to buy a couple hours of training for $200. It's not a million dollars and your team is going to be happier and more satisfied when they're logging in. They're going to feel like they're doing a good job at their job. So those are my big three. I really want people to hear what you're saying, especially with step one, the work group, because if it is mandated from the top down, or if it's a board member says we have to do this, or the executive director says we have to do this, and there's no real buy-in, there's no empowerment, there's no talking to the employees, then they might be resistant to it, resistant to the change and they might be, you know, just very hesitant to use it and skeptical that it's going to work. So I think having that group that can talk through the goals, talk through the strategy is going to be really, really helpful for people. And of course, if you are an organization of one, then you don't even have to do that. You can just, <laughs> you, can just well, you can talk, you can think through like, I'm the development director. What would the development director want? Now I'm going to put on my marketing hat. What would the marketing person want? Now I'm going to put on my, you know, volunteer manager hat. (laughs) So if you're wearing all the hats, definitely think through all of the different positions and what the different departments might want, because the goal I'm hoping is to grow your organization. So you will have more employees. Always. Wow. Okay. That was really, really helpful. And now a word from our sponsor. I'm here to tell you that this podcast episode is sponsored by my newest free training social media in 20 minutes per day. This is where I give you my exact framework and process to schedule and organize your time so that social media does not take over your entire day and to-do list. Watch the replay for free at social media in 20, that's 20, the numbers 20.com. And be sure to tag me on social to let me know what you think. That's social media in 20.com. Thanks for listening and enjoy. We're going to pivot to talking about pivoting <laughs> mm-hmm. because you are you are an expert in teaching nonprofits to manage remote and hybrid 
workplaces. I know you're doing a lot of training here in Massachusetts. You're doing training across the country. So how can nonprofits, like what's your advice to best manage this uncertain, Mm. you know, hybrid world we're entering one where things are partially in person and partially virtual? Yeah. So it's, it's hard because we think that we need to just go to the same place and work in the same physical space. That's how we were all taught. That's how we learned how to work, many of us. Mm -hmm. And I've been working remotely since 2008. So it's been a long time. And and at Firefly, I was lucky enough to be able to figure out how to do this because it was weird. We had AOL Instant Messenger. Like (laughs) that's what we used. Imagine yes. that. That was a long oh, time. Oh, that's how my husband and I like fell in love. We always credit AOL Instant Messenger because we would talk at, we we're both at work <laughs> and there were no cell phones and we would just sneak on Instant Messenger and talk. So thank I, you, I, AOL. I hope you stay <laughs> building teams, you. building relationships, building love, <laughs> building families. Yes, right. AOL was instrumental for a mm-hmm. long time when we thought about connecting with each mm-hmm. other. So here's what I think about managing a hybrid or remote team. The first thing is that there are some jobs that more naturally are going to be able to be man- worked remotely. Some people are still going to have to come to a physical space and that's okay. It is not an all or nothing thing. Um, you may have somebody who, whose job requires them to come in every day and they may not like that. But I would have a conversation with them and say, this job needs to be done here because, Mm -hmm. and it doesn't matter that Julia gets to work from home because her job can be done remotely. You might have some turnover after those conversations, but if somebody's feeling resentful and crabby about the fact that their job means they have to come in, it's not great to have them around anyway, and Mm -hmm. better to have them know what the deal is. And that is one of my first rules. There's really only three things that you need. I love threes. Did you notice? Yes. The rule of three, everybody was three, Mm -hmm. three things you need to be able to be successful in a hybrid or remote environment. The first one is a culture of trust. Oh yes. Culture of trust. No time clocks. -uh, None of that stuff. Keeping your zoom camera on all day. I've heard that. If you, if you have a bias and many people do, like, are they working or are they watching television? You're going to know that based on their response time, based on their production. You don't need to track them to know whether somebody's getting it done. Mm -hmm. So culture of trust is number number one. Number two is you've got to have clear expectations. Yes. Expectations are really a person's opinion or a group's opinion of behavior. (laughs) So when you think about work expectations, we're really talking about how you're going to work and what you're going to do. And so be very explicit about your expectations with people. We're all going to work from nine to five, wherever you are. It's nine to five Eastern time. Mm -hmm. You may want to be flexible about that. You also want clear expectations about communication channels, right? Like this is how we're going to use email. This is how we're going to use Zoom. This is how we're going to use Slack. Mm -hmm. Give people 
the guidelines so that they can be successful at their job instead of just guessing. Mm -hmm. If someone's writing you a book of an email, <laughs> like we've all seen those, like, I got to print those things out. Yes. I can't digest all that stuff in, in an email on my screen. So be explicit and have these conversations and make those agreements so that you can all abide by those expectations. And the third thing is you got to have access to the right equipment and resources. And here is where I have a stance, Julia. And you know, mostly mm -hmm. I'm like, we all just figure this out and get along. But I have a stance on equipment, which is you got to provide it. Mm -hmm. Bring your own device is problematic in a number of ways, but the, the main ones are you can't control what people are doing and not doing on those machines. Right. Somebody may only have an iPad in their house, yep. you know, yep. like expecting nonprofit staff at nonprofit salaries right. to be able to set themselves up with equipment is a failing proposition and it is embarrassing for mm -hmm. someone who doesn't have a camera and can't buy one. That's a fact. Yep. It's a fact. I can't spend 50 bucks on a camera. Mm -hmm. So be ready. If you were providing people equipment in real life in an office, let them take it home. You're allowed to have rules about that. This is how we expect you to use it. And when you leave us, you got to return it in good working order. I just think it is mm -hmm. a, a DEI and accessibility issue. Yes. We've got to be inclusive and equitable in what we're expecting people to provide. Mm -hmm. And the other risk here with bring your own device is data storage. Yes. So somebody may keep a lot of stuff on their computer. And if you don't know that and they leave, they could be taking all your fundraising contact information with them. So you got to make it a little harder for people mm -hmm. to be able to be sloppy with their data. So I think it's possible to be very successful with those three things. And what has happened as we've gone either hybrid or remote is if those three things were a problem for you and your organization, the spotlight is on them in a remote or hybrid environment. Yep. If you didn't have a culture of trust when people were all working in the same space, right. if you didn't have clear expectations, if you didn't give people the right equipment to do a good job at their job, the volume is just getting turned up right now. So they might not be new problems. Oh my gosh, that is so great. I think of how expensive Microsoft Office is when I have to renew it every year or every two years, whatever it is. It's so expensive. I mean, a lot of the software is really expensive. And like you said, I do absolutely believe it's an equity issue. And we're dealing with this in schools as well. If we're making kids learn virtually. We need to provide them yep. with a Chromebook. Like my kids all had Chromebooks here. I know other schools had iPads, laptops, things like that. But also just so everyone is on the same page and like using the same equipment, mm -hmm. because a lot of times this, ha this does happen. People prefer Apple, people prefer mm -hmm. PC, but there needs to be some consistency when you're in the office so that Everyone can open that PDF. Everyone can open that PowerPoint. Everyone can send files to each other. You know, you can't have 10 Dropbox accounts and Google accounts and you need to have really one system 
to where all of the the data is housed or all of the important documents are. So yes, I completely agree. If you do not have the culture of trust already in place, it is it is not going to get better when you move to a virtual environment. So and let's face it, we all have work to do in those yeah. areas. You know, I think just we do owning it and then figuring out how you're going to stumble your way through it is way better than knowing it's there and pretending it's not. <laughs> well, just the culture of work where you have to stay late, you've got to show your face early, you have to be the last one in, I mean, the first one in, the last one out, you have to work weekends. So having clear expectations, I know that I really try hard to set clear expectations of trying not to work on weekends. We've talked about this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> We've talked a lot about this. Guilty. Trying not to work on weekends, trying not to answer emails at 11 p.m. Because I think the lines get blurred and I have worked virtually remotely since 2010. Yep. So the lines do get blurred sometimes between home and work. But as long as those expectations and guidelines are clear and you know, Brene Brown says clear is kind, clear is mm-hmm. kind, unclear is unkind. So just be as clear as possible with your employees, with your coworkers as well. You know, if you have to drop your kid off at camp at 9 a.m., you might not be able to make that 9 a.m. staff meeting Zoom call, right? So just be, I find just being honest or trying to work a schedule around your, you know, your life works really well too. All right. Well, this has been, this has been wonderful. This has been really great. I've learned so much and I took a ton of notes. How can we find out more about you, Maureen? Yes, you can find me in so, so many places. (laughs) It's a little mortifying. I tend to get around. So you can can find me on my website, which is meetmaureen.com. You can sign up for my monthly email. I'm not a spammer. I kind of send one a month with lots of links to resources, a little nonprofit technology story in there. And if you do sign up for my email list, you'll unlock all of those free resources that I was talking about. Uh, Facebook Lives every Friday afternoon. Those are so great. Uh, they're super fun. I'm, I'm just very happy that my my business coach told me to start doing them three years ago, and I mm-hmm. I did, and I have kept going. So those are every Friday afternoon, twelve thirty Eastern time for about twenty to thirty minutes. Facebook slash Accidental Techie, and you know I also do an advice column for Blackboard at their. Mm-hmm. Um, SP Engage blog. So if you've got questions about technology, whether you're using BlackBot products or not, you can submit questions and I'd be happy to answer them. And um, yeah, you know, just Google me. <laughs> I think you'll find <laughs> Right. Me. And hopefully we'll be able to be speaking at a conference together in person. Yeah. Virtually, we do a lot of speaking, but, you know, you'll definitely see Maureen at a conference hopefully soon, depending, depending on what happens in the world, but we're hoping to get together in person soon. Absolutely. And Julia, I'm so, I'll just say you may leave this in, you may cut it out uh, (laughs) in the editing process, but I'm so glad that you're doing this podcast because you have so much knowledge and you're very, you're also very practical. I know that's not your tagline, but you were, you are very practical in your advice that you give to people, whether it's clients or in workshops or trainings. And so I think you have that empathy for fitting a lot of plates inside an organization. And how do I change 
my reality around communications and fundraising and marketing. So it's a pleasure to be here with you. And uh, I hope our paths cross again soon. Thanks. Yeah. I think we'll keep that in. No, No, that's nice. I don't actually think the word practical has been used by those around me. (laughs) So I will have to, I will have to start putting that on my marketing (laughs) materials, but I really appreciate it. All seriousness. Thank you so much. All right. Well, everyone, thanks so much. See you in the next episode. Bye folks. Well, hey there. I wanted to say thank you for tuning into my show and for listening all the way to the end. If you really enjoyed today's conversation, make sure to subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast app, and you'll get new episodes downloaded as soon as they come out. I would love if you left me a rating or a review because this tells other people that my podcast is worth listening to. And then me and my guests can reach even more earbuds and create even more impact. So that's pretty much it. I'll be back soon with a brand new episode, but until then, you can find me on Instagram at Julia Campbell 77. Keep changing the world, you nonprofit unicorn. Oh,